Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the four-pound pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Uh, be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle drew 2-2 at home to Bournemouth in the Premier League yesterday. And this is a podcast to discuss what happened and why. I'm Alex. I'm joined by Norman Riley, Adam Clary and Charlotte Robson. And we are going to talk about the chaos, whether we enjoyed it, whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing, and what we think happens in the rest of the season. We're on Patreon. It's been three and eight pounds a month. would love you to join us on there as we discuss this result in depth and also look ahead to what looks like an increasingly disastrous fixture at Arsenal away <laughs> next Saturday night in front of the nation on the television Norman, mate, um, what on earth was that? <laughs> I think, you know, the Friday night, um, the, the event that we did on Friday night, I think you referenced the word chaos on screen, Charlotte, and also yeah. you mentioned it in the match, uh, the instant reaction video yesterday, and that's exactly what it was, but this is a, this seems to be a, a relatively sort of new embedded thing now, Newcastle United, or the Club of Chaos. It's uh, equally wonderful and uh, frustrating. And yesterday, I, I don't know, mate, I... When I, when I first came out of the stadium, I was thinking to myself, God, we were terrible there. It doesn't look like we create any clear-cut chances. We're, we're conceding goals. Um, you know, there's, there's no way we're going to go to Arsenal and not concede at least two. That means that we need, to concede, we, we need to score two. Are we capable of doing that? Maybe, but we don't really create many clear-cut chances. And then on reflection, watching the highlights, actually, I was writing down every chance we had. Mate, we, we had a lot of yeah. chances yesterday, right? And, and it does kind of tie into that sort of chaotic way of playing. We're, we're literally just launching, it seems like, we're just launching players forward without any sort of necessary plan behind it but it just seems to be let's just get a ball out wide as much as we possibly can and just try and throw as many players in the box as we can what's that doing as well it's leaving them massively vulnerable at the back as well right as we, as we saw with Bournemouth pressing forward but I am um, I, I can't I can't work out what Newcastle United are at the minute um, because there is just a heck of a lot going on when you're watching the match there's a lot to take in and that that sort of identity that we had that season, that style of play we had last season, that was very, you know, it was very clear to see what we're doing. It seems to have disappeared. And now we're just there. Uh, it's like we're playing sort of six aside, doing it at the pits, the points, which is great. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not that it's not that great though, as a, a Premier League level. It's it's not it's not what we what we want to see. Um, chaos is the word, isn't it? I just think 
it, 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 it's that discipline that we had last season. I, d- I don't see it on the pitch anymore. And, and, and there's, there are myriad of reasons why that has happened. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we, we all are aware of the mitigating factors now, the injuries, the, the fixture congestion at the back end of last season, last year, sorry, um, all of that stuff, the, the inability to change the game from the bench, really, um, although that is starting to get a bit better. But all of that doesn't really account for the fact that we're letting in so many goals. Um, we, we still have the same back four that we had last season that we're, we're supposed... We're, we're the best defence of the, of the season last, last year. So um, that's confusing to me. I don't understand how it can regress. It's not as if... You know, I know that everybody's a year older, but it's. It, 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 I don't think that should make like this much of a difference. The amount of goals that we're letting in. I realise that Nick Pope's not playing. Perhaps he's a, was a much bigger um, cog in this machine than I ever gave him credit for. I, I mean, he was amazing, and but like seeing the the gulf between him and Dubravka and and the amount of goals that we are conceding. I'm not saying Nick Pope wouldn't have slipped over and had a had a mare like Dubravka did yesterday, but. It, something is something isn't clicking at the moment, and it is it is frustrating to watch. It's really frustrating that people keep calling us the the new entertainers because I don't find this that entertaining. It might be entertaining for the neutral because there's lots of goals in a game, but the entertainers were entertaining because they were pressing forward and and scoring lots of goals. We're chasing the game most of the time. That is not entertaining for me. I've got a, I've had a great time watching that game. <laughs> the game. Like I know I should be disappointed and frustrated by us not beating very beatable teams at home, but I did find both those games entertaining. I mean maybe I'm a sadist, maybe I'm sick. Maybe there's something deeply wrong with me, but I did really maybe. enjoy watching those games. You've touched on it there though, like we've got the same back four, but you score and you concede and you play as a team and it's not so much those four players have regressed yeah. in any way. It's that Nick Pope isn't behind them and he was such an important part of how the team took its sort of cues for every part of the pitch. They don't have Willick and Joe Linton in front of them who covered all the ground and stopped them getting exposed as often as they did. And that we're still having to sort of make do and mend with, again, about 11 players again. Like the injuries of... We don't feel like we're picking them up as often. I mean, we've lost Isak and we've lost Wilson again. But we still haven't really come out with this period where we've got anything more than just an 11 that picks itself. And I think it's really hard week to week to devise some grand new plan that's going to make everybody sort of like a bit more sort of less chaotic. Like come up with a new system that, that's going to that's gonna try and change all that. Obviously against Forest, they tried doing that box midfield that's very trendy at the minute and that worked for a bit. But you just don't know what players you're going to have to use in the next game. So I just, I think at the minute... I saw already come out and say, like, it's another positive result. You know, we're, we're unbeaten again and all this. And I know we will wish we'd won these games, but we've got to sort of look at the positives with it. And I just think he's sitting there getting dragged along this season by his skin, by like the skin of his pants, which is an expression that could work. If you're wearing skin pants. If you're in skin pants. He probably feels like he's wearing skin pants at the minute. That's and just so rank. Un- Leather. Just unable to sort of comprehend how he's supposed to do his job week on week. Like he can't change things in training. He can't change things from the bench. He's just got to sort of go, right, great. Somehow didn't get beat there. Good. Move on next week. Hopefully get a player back. It's an interesting one because we're not actually that far away. And at the same time, simultaneously, if Luton and Bournemouth had won both those fixtures, I don't think too many Newcastle fans would be like, that was an outrage. They've stolen that result. Yeah. And they're not good. And it's really difficult because... Uh, I did a podcast with Craig Hope through the week and he made a good point. He said, maybe this part of the season, particularly while you're playing without a striker, maybe you just have to accept that it, that it's that it's 
these are the bad times, these are the dark times. We'll look back this point next season yeah. when we're flying yeah, high in the league. And remember, remember when we played with like consistently 11 first team injuries and no striker, and, and we didn't actually get beat that much. We only lost so far this season, uh, this year, this calendar year, to Liverpool and Manchester City, yeah. who, are, who, are, who are two good sides. And then on the, the other, the flip side of it, you know, you have all of the things that people are grumbling about. You have, you know, the substitution of Dan Byrne, you know, carbon copy against Luton where we concede a goal, so he makes the same substitution. And there's just there's just a sense of frustration building, not so much in ground, I think, but, you know, when I look at the game yesterday, it is very hard to just make sense of it because Newcastle go one-on-one almost kind of three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Gordon should score when he when he, the keeper does well, but he... He should have taken the shot early yeah, or, or, or taken it much wider than he did. Bruno Gamaras goes through and is fouled several times on the way and um, the, the, you know puts a good ball and that's about to be tapped in. This kind of shit hasn't even made the highlights. There were so many things going on in this game. And uh, Miguel Amaron also had a great chance when going through as well. Sean Longstaff, very close to going through. So on, an, on another day, this is the thing, on another day, you can make the case that Newcastle win that game fairly handsomely con- considering it is two goalkeeping howlers, which we'll talk about, that give Luton... Luton, Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth. Interchangeable, the, really, at this yeah, point. Bournemouth, the point. But, 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 it is a nonsense, isn't it? Like what we're seeing defensively oh, in midfield, it's it. it's just a nonsense. No, moment. but yeah, but like you've touched on it there. Like we'll look back at this. I mean, we've said loads of times on this. I must apologise for my voice, by the way, if anybody's just listening to this. Being back up for the weekend, doing the wonderful Truth Faith Live event. Uh, shouting at the referee for yellow cards mm. and also never shutting the fuck up for 30 odd years <laughs> as left me with no voice but like the success the progress isn't going to be linear mm. like we I think we're all sort of accepting of we are on the way up but it's not going to be a straight line there's going to be little ups, peaks and troughs here and there and I do think you look at those chances yesterday how many times we've got players in and got through what did none of those players have in common none of them were centre forward none of them had natural goal scoring instincts like the players you can get your goals out of certain situations but like any one of those chances goes to a Wilson or an Isak. Mm. You're not in any doubt whatsoever about hitting the back of the net. So I, I think that is a really good point about how like, E, remember when we had 11 players every single week and we were bringing on Matt Ritchie and whatnot and we didn't get beat off anything but the very top teams. Wasn't that actually quite a good sign of the direction we were going in? But that only works if when we do get those players back, then things pick up again and we sort of reinvest in the summer and we do then kick on. If it's more of a sort of symptom of where we're going, then there's a bit of a concern because the warning signs are there for that. Spot on. And I love the positivity, by the way. This is really good. Uh, the, in terms of the chances, as I say, when I left the stadium yesterday, and even during the match to a certain extent, I was saying to Ben, why aren't we creating many chances? And that was just my obvious inability to, to read a football match, basically, because <laughs> on reflection, I've written some down. And actually, the two that you just mentioned there that weren't on the highlights, I haven't even put those down. So you've got Gordon's early header, Gordon's chase down, Amaron's running fluff after Trippier's, uh, Trippier's brilliant ball. Um, Burn getting in the way of Bruno. Uh, Amaron's <laughs> right foot miss. Amaron's effort outside the box just past the post. He could have passed it. Yeah. Amaron not rolling Gordon in and shooting. And also, I'd, I'd on top of that, Bournemouth's second uh, second goal, I think it was. Um, why didn't Botman just take Solanke out? That's another thing that we're not doing. That was more or less on oh, the halfway line. Solanke was allowed by Botman to just surpass him. But the, all he yeah. had to do was just trip him. He might have got a yellow card. He might not. But ultimately, that's, again, that thing that's lacking. But in terms of actual chances on reflection... We could, we, we could have had a good six or seven goals, really, if the decision-making was a little bit better. Again, that ties into having an actual centre-forward on the pitch, right? The reason that you... I don't think you missed with the game when you say, why didn't we create chances, is because we haven't made the goalkeeper made any saves. That's, that, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. Really, Neto hasn't made any saves. I, I said it during the game, I. Mm. Yeah, 
Nintendo's had basically two things to do. He had the penalty, which he nearly got to, and then the Matt Ritchie goal was uh, a really good save, wasn't it? It came off his legs and came straight straight back out yeah. to to Ritchie. But you know, there, there is there is the aspect of this that it's Bournemouth and it's Bournemouth at home. It's a bottom ten side at home, and you know, last three home games we've uh, not the last three because I'm just conveniently ignoring Manchester City for the purpose of my argument here. But Nottingham Forest at home, Luton at home, uh, Bournemouth at home. Two points, was it nine, uh, eight conceded from those games? That's, you know, that this is me trying that to is, kind of put to you bad. guys that, that, is, that bad. is bad. Like, yeah. anyone anyone want to defend it? Contextualize you can't, it. You can't, like, because they are frustrating results. And I, I don't think there's any problem with saying that's shocking. We should have won, would have loved to have won all three games. And we, you know, we are a side that should have, have gone and won those. But, like, I got pelters for this saying afterwards, like, just snip the Forest game out for a second. Like, being that being behind with everything going against you, and there is a bit of like a there's a whiff in that stadium of the minute of people starting to turn on the team and being really frustrated by what they're seeing. To be down against, and I know people have said Luton and Bournemouth are bad. I don't think they're bad sides Agreed. at all. I think it's a very competitive league this year. I think they're both <laughs> really growing into the division quite well. To be behind against both of those and not lose those games, like I know, I, I know you go into the game and you think you should win it, but the positions that we were in. With no fresh legs coming off the bench, with no like nobody you're looking to to come on who can fix this for you, them having to go right, we need to find a way to not get beat here, and doing that two really tough games in a row. I know, I know, it's, it's the it's the, the bar is the floor here, the bar is lava, but I just think like <laughs> I've seen so many Newcastle sides wilt, and I've seen them down tools and go, oh, things are just going against what at the minute. Can't get the rub of the green. Didn't get the decisions off the referee. We've missed all the chances. Wow, 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 and lose that game. And that's twice now they haven't done that. And I think, again, it's it's a small thing, but it is a thing. We've seen so many Newcastle sides do that, but not this Newcastle side. Not 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 since this all happened and it started to change for us. Oh, yeah? Like, that's what I think is frustrating. And that's where the, the whiff of discontent is coming from. It is, like, only, it is only a whiff. It, it is, is only a whiff. And we'll talk, about, <laughs> we'll talk about that later in the show, I'm sure. Because, you know, there is a lot of, you know, people sharing their opinions on various different platforms um including us so that there is there is you know a conversation there but it, that's the thing that's frustrating and i think that's what people are finding difficult to get their heads around M- myself included looking at looking at the team from last season and this team and and i know all of them are getting factors i have i've already mentioned them but it's like what that's sort of how i feel I'm like how's this happen what's happened here what's how what that's how i feel you're right the thing about the newcastle teams of old is i agree with you that steve mclaren's 2015 (laughs) just got beat there but we hated those guys (laughs) and we love these ones i'm I'm being uh, deliberately difficult for humor but it's um it's it it is a it is a it is a case of looking at looking at all the results as a whole because if you look at the number of points picked up from villa forest Luton and Bournemouth, although those fixtures were fixtures identified after that Manchester City game of, okay, we have points on the horizon. Well, the points have come. Eight points from those four games is is good. That That is yeah, that, that, not, that is that is good. Eight points from those four, that's decent. And once we get Arsenal out the way next weekend, and you never know, you never know what's going to happen at Arsenal because we all... I'm not, I'm not as down on the Arsenal game as a lot of people are. I watched Chelsea, a minging Chelsea side, turn up at Man City and just do a, you know, improved performance, got their structure right, still weren't particularly good, 
with a win. You can you can just turn up with these places in the middle of a bad run and, and get a result. Cut to so the, there you go, it's cut, fine. Cut to the always sunny in Philadelphia hoping of like the mags get beat 5-0. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. Part one of the show. Um, there are some adverts coming up. If you don't want to hear these adverts and get these podcasts entirely advertisement free, including even me referencing, uh, come and join us on Patreon for the bottom tier of £3 a month. Back after these. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. So for part two of the show, I want to talk about a big positive from yesterday. And that big positive was Lewis Miley's performance. Now, Lewis Miley uh, looks like a generational talent. He's had to play way too many games of football in the middle of a wide-open midfield for a struggling Newcastle United since his introduction at uh, Bournemouth away, funnily enough, back in late November. And I thought yesterday there was a huge development in his game because uh, Norman and I had done some podcasts on Patreon previously and we looked at um, the stats and the problems in Newcastle's midfield and... I looked at the number of tackles that our midfield was making per game, and this will surprise no one because you all watch Newcastle just be walked through relentlessly. And Lewis Miley was averaging just over one tackle and 0.3 fouls a game, which isn't very many. Yesterday, he put in six tackles. Six tackles. Um, Bruno Gamarich put in zero. Now, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bruno Gamarich put in zero, and uh, Sean Langstaff put in only two. Um, and I thought Miley yesterday with the six tackles. Bournemouth midfield, by the way, combined 11. Combined 11 compared to... I mean, they're playing away from home, but we play the same away from home as we do at home pretty much. And I just thought Miley finally is getting around the pitch, getting in the faces of opposition players. He's contesting aerial duels. He just looks like a midfielder rather than a very talented child, which is, I think is what he's looked up until now. Yesterday, for the first time, I thought he was he was everywhere. Now... He got taken off probably because he was knackered, because he covered so much ground. He was picking the ball up from the, the back four, uh, just in front of them in the sixth position. He put some lovely balls through into attacking areas. Yep. For me, yesterday, by by a mile, Lewis Miley's best performance. Yeah, I think just, just to add to that stat, like, he won the ball back six times, but also in terms of like total duels won. He was nearly at 12. Wow. So in terms of like winning headers, go making interceptions. And I said this on the instant reaction thing. There's... Mm. It's a very nerdy thing to talk about, but transitions are something that managers work on so much. Like, what happens when you get the ball back? What is What do you immediately have to do? And when you lose the ball, what do you immediately have to do? And the best teams are always the teams that react quickest to that and react as a unit rather than individually. I still don't think we're as good at that as we were last season. But certainly on an individual level, Lewis Miley's reading of the game mm. when we've lost the ball is... Like you say, it's it's generational in terms of what he does. And the amount of times in that game we would, you know, a pass would go astray or someone would get tackled. And Lewis Miley straight away would position himself in a, in a where he could win it back. And he would we would literally turn the ball over, having had it just turned over ourselves, which is such like a, an advantage to have because even when you lose the ball, you're stopping the opposition getting out. You effectively can create a second chance from the one you've just failed to do. And it's these long, gangly legs. Yeah. He's got like, he's <laughs> almost impossible to dribble around. It's fantastic. 
Sorry, Charlotte. I, no, no. In, term, in terms of Miley, I mean, you know what's what's really positive is that he was doing that yesterday. Bearing in mind, we've been saying, as you mentioned, for like the last three months, that he, that, that aspect of his game isn't there. The ability to to win tackles, to get to get stuck in, basically to win headers. But he's 17 years old. Physically, he's got so much development to do. And the fact that he's already within three months of breaking through in the in the first team at the age of 17, he's already doing these things is a very positive sign for the future because two or three years doing the lane, Lewis Miley's basically the top half of his body's gonna catch up with the bottom half. His legs, you look at his legs now, wow. he's got big, he's got big muscular legs, right? He's top, yeah. he's gonna put on, he's probably gonna pack on, I would say five or six kilos of muscle on his top half. He's already making those tackles. We've seen it. He's already making those headers. He's already getting stuck in. Three or four years doing the lane, he's got more physicality. He's going to be more effective. So there's many, many positive signs with this lad. And I was delighted to see him do that yesterday. Just quickly on the on the, um, on the the tackles, you know what I find interesting about yesterday? And it kind of ties into our lack of nastiness in the middle of the park, maybe. Mm. Bournemouth, 23 fouls. Newcastle, nine fouls. Like, they didn't have any players sent off. I don't know if they even got any more yellow, any, any more yellow cards than us. So it just comes to show that we still need, I think, to bring that little bit of nastiness back in the game. And seeing Miley do that yesterday was an encouraging sign. You do miss Joe Linton when you when you look at stats like Massively. that, and it's very frustrating because um, because the referee didn't make a single booking till about the thirty eighth minute or something. So it, there were loads and loads of tackles, there were loads of shirt pulls, there were loads of, of of fouls that you just think, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing that? And it is encouraging to see Lewis Miley kind of add that, start to add that to his game. It's uh, what we're seeing kind of week on week is this. Uh, these 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 additions to to what he's offering us, and I I it's the reading of the game for me. I, yeah. And I turned to you and I said it yesterday. He's reading the game really well. He's he's looking for space. He's if we had a striker yesterday, Miley would have been the reason we scored because he was getting the balls. He was doing these really precise balls into the channels and um and and getting the ball forward in 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 a way that Longstaff certainly wasn't. Um and you know Bruno's playing a more advanced position. Miley's further back and he's and he's picking up the ball and he's moving it up the pitch and it's just it, 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 we just need a strike we just need a point person to get that ball too because I think once that starts to click Miley's development is so encouraging I just think we are going to get goals from there I think you are starting to see as well a bit of a <clears throat> almost a partnership uh, blossoming between Bruno and Lewis Miley because obviously there's all that was what people always talk about like oh should, could we play Bruno further up as an eight has he got to stay as a six he's got to be there because he, he was our first pass out and we build up and we'd lose too much if we pushed him further up you're starting to see now in game the two of them will start to change over and they'll have like 20 minutes where Bruno will go play further up because he trusts Lewis Miley to go and do a job slightly further behind him which perhaps we don't trust Sean Longstaff to do because in tight areas when he's pressed he hasn't quite got that uh, that ability to go past somebody or to beat somebody. It's not a criticism of Longstaff, that's just not his game. He's a very good reader, he understands space, he moves the ball quite well. But Miley, when you press him, that's quite dangerous because he can go past you and take a player out of the equation, which is what Bruno, sometimes to an insane level, will like to try and do, like mm. dribble between three players when he should just release the ball easily. But I think quite quite often now you see Bruno push a little bit further up because he does trust Miley to do his job behind him, which is... It's better than going out and buying another six is having somebody who can play elsewhere and can do that mid-game because it's much harder for the opposition to sort of counterance. Counterance? So? Just counter, I think. Counter. Bruno yesterday, it, was, um, it, wasn't his, it wasn't his best game. As I said, zero tackles because he can't. He puts in the ball for the rich equaliser. Um, but it, was, it feels very much like when Bruno's career is done, um, whatever social media platform is in vogue at the time, because who knows? <laughs> um, yesterday's yesterday's game will be put forward as like 
the archetypal Bruno Gamara's game at him because he was doing some things that you know I don't know what the right um, adjective is here. So I'll let you choose your own. Well, can I can I say what I called him in the group chat? Is of course that right? you can. I called him a terrorist <laughs> because he tried. He megged somebody on the edge of our own box when Bournemouth had committed about eight players forward. <laughs> He did two feints on our goal line after uh, Dubravka had saved a shot on it and rolled out. Instead of just hoofing it into the stands, he did two step overs to try and lose his man before getting rid of it. <laughs> I was, you would think I've got no voice now. Honestly, I was screaming at him from that Leeds zone. What on earth do you think you're doing? Like, I've got a heart condition. <laughs> like, doing that in the middle of a game when it's 2 2, that's absolutely scandalous. And the annoying thing is, he did make someone on the edge of our box and got away with it. And, and made him fall over. <laughs> yeah, and made him fall over. And he did do that thing successfully and play us out instead of just hoofing up the pitch. He's got no right. He's got no right to be that good and to exercise his ability. I, I was furious. I, I disagree. I think he's got every right. No. Let him. That let could him have been it, it for me. I think um, the word terrorist, I mean, the, really, there isn't any sort of fixed definition of terrorism. So you're welcome to use that word. I wrote an essay on it. If you look at the touch. UN's definition of it, I think it's pretty much spot on. I was, if it was fear, pure fear that he, he instilled in me for his own political end. It's a, it's definitely one that you need to roll with from now on because I don't think it's ever been used in, in football media. So well done. Um, but in terms of Bruno, just one thing to add. I mean, uh, everything you've said there, spot on. I thought he was excellent yesterday. Yes, of course, the tackle, the tackle situation, that's to a certain extent, by the by, given what he was offering going forward. But ultimately, that, that cross that he put in for that equalising goal was sensational. The fact that he popped up on the right hand, right, was it the right hand side of the pitch? It was the right hand side of the pitch, aye. Um, the, the cross was absolutely absolutely phenomenal. And he's just, uh, uh, he's, to me, he's starting to look like, uh, I suppose, the Bruno of, really, the, the, the back end of the first season that he arrived, when he, when he came into the team for those last sort of um, couple of months of the season, he's just looking like that oh, again as an attacking force. Absolutely gem. superb. Yes, and he... People have said for a little while he's he's essentially playing midfield by himself. That's harsh on the on the other lads. And we saw Miley yesterday really come at the party. Longstaff's an interesting one. And Adam, you you just articulate a little bit of what his job is compared to his colleagues. But Charlotte, you were you were really frustrated with him. Yeah, you know, Adam, I think you're being very kind there about Longstaff being able to kind of read the game and get into space because I felt like that's exactly what wasn't happening yesterday. That, that is his game whether or not he did it well yesterday is right okay that, that is what that's he's there his for. game i'd love him to play his game <laughs> because yesterday it was so frustrating watching him you say he put in no tackles he um he was turning away from I the think ball he put in, sorry he put in two tackles oh, which, my, still, which is still my mistake hard any but committed yeah. no fouls committed no fouls so yes 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 um very frustrating to watch him yesterday physically like look at the ball and turn away several times or have the ball in really dangerous positions and then just stop running I, d I don't really understand what was going through his head yesterday but it was incredibly frustrating to watch and you sit there and you think what is our option here and I know we did eventually bring on another midfielder but but not for Longstaff Longstaff stayed on the pitch so I I just, I don't, I'm terrible for a podcast, but I, I'm finding it really hard to articulate. Like, I do not understand why why he's on the pitch he's, most of the he's time. Fo he's football jazz, man. You've got to look at all the things he's not football doing. Football jazz. You've got to listen to all the notes he's not playing. Right. So, I, would, I, I don't want to do that. Right, that I, is fair. You can do that at home. <laughs> yeah. We are, we are so, like, if we're talking about our defence being leaky and, and part of that being Pope gone, okay, get it. Our midfield is all, you can play through our midfield very easily. He is, he is a key part of why you can play through our midfield very easily. And if you're talking also about aggression in the midfield and a little bit of spice there, yeah. ha, he doesn't have any of that. He's like, he's not even like 
salt in terms of seasoning in uh, wow. he's like wow. yesterday based on yesterday I, w- I just was so frustrated watching him yesterday it was, it was, it was, and I'm not saying he's shit like I, I've seen him be good I've seen him be good but yesterday anonymous on the pitch total waste of waste of a player in my opinion really harsh sorry you're I like seen, you I'm sure you're nice you've basically seen he's like the bay leaf in the soup aren't you yeah, yeah. like why the, am I putting you there why is there a bay leaf and I've never understood that so there we are <laughs> do you know what I'm, I'm a big bay leaf guy and I've never once eaten something and been like god you can't really taste the bay I'm, I'm glad that bay. was in there for three hours <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you what's interesting about Longstaff and this happened against Luton and again look these metrics that the BBC give the player ratings on I don't know what they are Adam you might have a better idea than me uh, but he scored two goals against Luton he got like 4.5 and he was the worst rated player. Yesterday, this is a belt on the out BBC ratings out of yeah. 10. This what? is a belt yeah. This one. So Dubravka was a second lowest scoring player on 6.31. Longstaff got 3.48. That is a gigantic gap. Now, whoever's watching that game, whoever's coming up with these numbers, they must be looking and thinking this kid's not doing anything. So can somebody please tell me? Because 3.48 to then 6.31, the second the second worst, is, or the 10th best, we'll call it, is a pretty... Pretty interesting. I've got no idea how the ratings were. I've got so far score up here just for a couple of the numbers, and Bruno has got the exact same score as Longstaff on That's this. That's absolutely a insane. Six, a 6.9. I will say, I thought, just to, just to contrast the Miley thing, I do understand why you have a bear leaf in that midfield. Because <laughs> for all the things he doesn't do, one thing he does do is not give the ball away. Like, it is fairly safe when it gets... Now, maybe that's yeah. because he doesn't play things aggressively. Just looking at the numbers there, I thought Miley was our best player. He gave the ball away 18 times across that game, which is quite high. But he can get it back. He can get it back, I know. Longstar, I think Longstar could away three times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there, is, there is... Don't get me wrong. I think if you had any options on the bench and you could put somebody else... You could, if we had Joe Litton, if you had if you had absolutely anybody, I think he wouldn't be playing as many games as he is. I don't necessarily think at home to Bournemouth yeah. is one of those games where you do want a bay leaf in that suit. You, you can be a bit more adventurous and you can have a... a different kind of player in but it's horses for courses and the problem we've got at the minute is we don't get to pick the horses that's the thing and and the horses pick themselves because there is no competition the the stables are empty there are there are there is no other option i don't want to dig them out too much because there are games for him you are right like there are games for him yesterday wasn't the game for him and yes he scored twice last week and and that's that's great um but it Again, wasn't having a good game. He was just kind of in. They were kind of fluky goals. He's just in the right position, and, and I guess that's part. You, you know, the flip side of that is well, he got himself into the right position, and he was there for the for the ball. So, I, I do want to acknowledge that and say I'm not. I'm not trying to say drop him immediately, but we, I wouldn't have. If Willock comes back, you said it on on Twitter X last night. If Willock comes back. If Willock is fit for next week, that's long staff drop for me, definitely. Yeah. Same and uh, furious replies to my tweets. Same. <laughs> Saying it doesn't matter how well anyone plays, Longstaff and Burn are always in the team. Right. And that's what some fans think. And we're going to talk about that in, uh, in part three of the show, actually. Perceptions of Eddie Howe and where it's all going. But we will leave it there for part two. A couple more adverts coming up back after these. Part three of the show, uh, this is a general direction I'm going, and there's lots to talk about. But it's not just online. There is more and more negativity toward the manager some of his team selection and substitutions. St. James's Park was very quiet yesterday. I think yeah, it was. That, yeah. um, the, you know, all of the old Newcastle United things which we lived with <laughs> for de- like a decade or more, constant injuries, um, ho- quiet home crowds, poor results against bad teams. You know, granted, you're 
lofty thoughts of those teams. Yeah. I, <laughs> I would say lofty, certainly yeah. like upstairs. Yeah. Lofty. <laughs> um, you know, it just, I don't know, uh, Sam Donner wrote the True Faith Match Report online and he made a good point saying no one kind of wants to admit it, but is the, the honeymoon period over in terms of the overall relationship with Howe and the, the, the view of his decision making and you know it's kind of put to or, or an opinion of how that he's a great as Craig Hope said on, on this podcast he's a great Monday to Friday manager in game he's not up there with some of the other managers at this level um, and there's definitely something to say to be said about you know I, I didn't think Matt Ritchie was the solution at 2-1 down and he comes on and almost immediately scores so there, there are you know, there are things that he does well Norman, I'll start with you, mate. I'm in fact asking you a question that I've really wanted to ask. Ooh. And there was a, a great point on the, a YouTube video that Sean and Adam did yesterday on the True Faith YouTube channel. And one of the comments YouTube. said, um, Eddie Howe has just turned Newcastle United into Eddie Howe's Bournemouth, mm. a team that are entertaining to watch, wide open defensively, and have a lot of injuries. What, what do you think, mate? I can see the comparison, but I probably disagree with it. I feel it's a bit harsh. I think, I, I mean, for a start, I don't think we're entertaining to watch. <laughs> it's stressful more than entertaining. Uh, as Charlotte mentioned before, for a neutral, yes, it might be entertaining. But no, I mean, it, to say that we've turned into Eddie Howe's sort of latter-day Bournemouth, it's, it, it is a bit harsh given the, the mitigating circumstances this season. And it's not like, you know, how was it? How, how many years was Howard Bournemouth? He was there for what? I mean, the best part of a decade. Yeah. He's been in Newcastle for two and a half years. To say that we've already morphed into his Bournemouth is, is, is a little bit harsh. I think, you know, again, we'll, we'll flip it back to those key players that have been missing. Pope, Willock, in particular, Joe Linton, Isak. If they're in the side, we are not Eddie Howe's latter-day Bournemouth. Also, you know, in terms of, yes, comparisons, unluckily for Howe, especially in that last season when they got relegated, they were hit by key injuries, Callum Wilson being the, the, the one in particular, right? <laughs> so, yeah, there are, there are similar... That's weird. There are, there are, I know, I know. Uh, it was his other pick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, man, that man benches too much for his own good. But sim similarities-wise, yes, there are similarities. But we, I would argue, we're not, we're not there yet. Look, ask me this time next season if we're still playing as chaotically as we are. If we're like Ellie Howe's latter day moment, and I'd, I'd agree. But right now, no, this is this for me is just mit mitigating circumstances, bringing up these sort of these comparisons that you can make. Adam, um, one of the big frustrations, and I'm going to put this to everyone watching and listening. Okay, it's. Whatever we all think, I'm going to try and present a reality. And, and my reality is in-game and walking out of the game, When you and I'm interested, I'm always listening to conversations for other people I'm not involved in, talking about the match, how do they feel, and walking out that ground and the people around me at the ground when once again a goal <laughs> comes down Dan Burns' side and he's kind of um, either responsible or at least in the conversation for the goal and then immediately almost substituted for Tino Livermento it is pissing people off, Adam. Yeah. Are they right to be pissed <laughs> off? And should Eddie Howe be worried about that? Well, you can't say anybody's ever wrong to be pissed off. Like their feelings are absolutely valid and how they, how, how, they see, how they see the games, how they see the game. It's sort of like, I don't know what people expect really because the Tino for Burns substitution is an indicator that we're giving up, going to the three at the back and we're going to be a little bit more adventurous, right? We only have to do that when we concede. We don't have to make that change. Like we are stable and we, we are far better structured when Dan Byrne plays. And people don't want to hear that, but this Newcastle side functions so much better with Dan Byrne at left-back than it would with Tino Livermento at left-back. It would be, a, you could build a different side, perhaps, with Tino Livermento there. You could have a system where if you had a different kind of number six, they could drop in. But we are, we play in a way 
that allows Kieran Trippier to get up the right-hand side. He's leading the Premier League for assists this season. And part of the reason for that is because we're very good at coming across as a back three. And part of the reason for that is we've played down Burn at left-back. Now, the midfield in front of him aren't the same as they were last season. He gets exposed a lot more and he doesn't have a great deal of pace. So teams do target that. And several times this season, they found a way to goal through doing that. Now, that's not... Dan Burns' fault. His decision-making in these situations isn't bad. He's not like miles out of position or he dives in when he shouldn't. The second goal yesterday is a great example. It's a huge, enormous hole in front of him. Bournemouth picked the ball up with someone who really does want to run at Dan Burn. He does the exact right thing. He drops... People wanted to get him to go to him. You could hear when he dropped off, there was like a grumble around the crowd. People wanted him to go out there. If he goes out there, the lad's just going to skip past him and get clean through on goal. He knows that. He knows that's not what he's good at. So he sits off. The rest of the team get caught back up. We actually get a bit of a defensive shape in place. And the angle he's got to hit the ball at is absolutely minuscule. And he rifles it. Dubravka lets it go under when it goes in. So straight, everyone's like, damn, burn again. He's let us another one. So he makes the change. Oh, why is he waiting for the mistake to happen again before the change comes in? Just like, actually trying to explain this to people in the pub. It's like, didn't need to bring the momentum one because it was 1-1 one, one and we're in control of the game. Like we didn't need to throw caution in the wind. Like we're in a decent position. We're in the ascendancy. What's happened there? Yes, it's through Dan Burns' side. And I think if he had his time back, maybe close the space off a little bit. But he did the right thing for his level of ability. And then we conceded. So of course he makes the change. And I think there's a bit of confirmation bias people have with this. They've got it in their head that Dan Burns' a liability. So anything that comes down that side now must automatically be his fault. Oh, look, it's happened again. It's happened again. Oh, here comes the same old sub. But it's Eddie Howe's not in a position where he's got lots of options for how he changes the game. People are sick of seeing the same substitution because it's the only substitution he can reliably make. Yeah. Livramento plays, can play in that position. By the way, Neither of them are left-backs. Neither of them are left-backs. And I will say, by the way, Livramento, who I'm a huge fan of and did make a difference when he came on down that side, it was great carrying the ball to the pitch. The last couple of minutes, he uh, gave the ball away twice mm. in that corner. Like, really bad decision-making. Just passed it back to Bournemouth, really kept the pressure on us. And I was sitting there thinking... I'm not going to dig him out for that, but if that was Dan Byrne, the noise that would be going around the stadium right now, if he'd made those two passes, I think people, we do, we have done it a lot as a fan base. I remember it with Simpson, with Perch, with Gutierrez. People get this favouritism idea in their head and that player then can't win. It doesn't matter what they do. Anytime they make a mistake, they shouldn't be playing. They need to be out the team. And don't get, don't get me wrong, I think if Eddie Howe had more options, I think maybe he would, probably would have taken him out the firing line or he would have done something a little bit different. But again, like... You start Livramento in that side, the team functions completely differently. Like, you don't get Kieran Trippier that far up the pitch. You don't get him putting crosses in the box in open play. You don't get that threat from set pieces. And that's just the reality of where they are. Maybe it's something they need to address in the summer. I would probably say that is a position you can upgrade. I would spend money on getting a better, quicker, possibly stronger, like someone on Botman or Shares level to, to play that position. But Dan Byrne is the player we've got, and Newcastle United function better, if chaotically, when Dan Byrne is in that side. I think I think we I think you're right. It, it's a really difficult one because um, because there are grumbles and and everybody knows better and everybody knows best and even if there are several different opinions, everybody's opinion is right. Um, and and it is frustrating watching Dan Byrne, who isn't a pacey player, get beaten by you know fast wingers and things like that every week, really. And that's where goals are coming from. But it is a team sport and there is a there is a midfield in front of him that are supposed to help and supposed to work with him and I think that they are they are getting better at that they are working on that it's not something that's like gone unnoticed I 
I, d- I don't know that Livermento is the answer. I don't think that if Livermento starts ahead of Burn, that, that things are that much different. And you, ha- you have to just trust that the people in charge have made that assessment on based on some like probably quite detailed statistical analysis. So yes, it's frustrating. And yes, the game changes when Dan Byrne comes off and, um, and Livermento comes on and we are playing a little bit more advanced and we are trying... Uh, something different but can we play like that for a full 90 minutes I, I don't think so so I, I I get that it's a tactical substitution that and it and and I and I also understand the frustration that it's come after we've conceded so now we're chasing the game again but I don't like to your point we, we didn't really need to make it until we were in that position very good points by both of you. I mean, I'm just surprised that nobody's obviously brought up the availability of the silver surfer himself, Paul Dummett. Get him back in. <laughs> no, but usually, um, do you know what? You could do that with Dummett theoretically because he can play both those sides, but I just the, the drop-off in levels obviously considered way too much. What a harsh criticism. Um, but no, <laughs> obviously, um, with uh, in respect to Burnett, it's a question for and any three of you who would want to pick it up. Talking about in-game management, now obviously given the hostility towards Burn, substituting him immediately after they've scored that goal, which people want to yeah. pin the blame on them for. Is that a good decision in terms of confidence? I, I, I don't know how these things work with players. It'll be different for individual ones, but just your general perceptions, I'd, I'd love to hear I, them. I think, can you imagine how much worse it would be if he left him on another 10 minutes? And that's, because obviously we've got to throw caution in the wind. You've got to go, right, well, we're giving up that sort of, that cohesion and that sort of structural plan we've got just to get a bit, an extra body further up the pitch. You've kind of got to do it straight away in those games. You haven't really got an option. Was it on Friday night that, Luke said that um, Howe was really shocked that people are criticising yeah. Boone. Um, and I think I think that's interesting to me. Like, he's, he's <laughs> it was a genuine surprise to hear that people are... So, so I don't... I, th- I think that they're quite... They have bubbled themselves. I think there are certainly players who look at social media and post on social media, or their teams do. But I, I don't think that it's going to knock him too much because I don't think Eddie Howe has a smartphone and I don't think um and I don't think Dan Byrne really like pays attention to this sort of noise so in for that particular player and that particular confidence I don't think that's gonna have affected it too much that was a remarkable comment and just to flesh it out for listeners and viewers um that was the, the live show we did on Friday in Gosforth there Luke Edwards of the Telegraph was was on the panel for us and yeah he said that when it was put to Eddie how is you know how is Dan Byrne dealing with the the noise and he was just like what noise i, I, I can't believe people yeah. are criticizing dan burn that's a bit mad to me i'm sorry when we maybe he was lying he does you lie. Know, i i had the misfortune to see the nottingham forest at home highlights again when dan burn is rinsed by chris wood more than once and you know the the luton game and the decision making the luton game in particular when goals keep coming down the side i find it kind of strange that eddie howe wouldn't at least be somewhat aware or able to predict that people who pay money to watch football are going to get frustrated at the same shit happening over and over again. That doesn't mean I disagree with anything said by you guys in this one, but yeah, that was an anecdote on stage. I mean, we're digging out Luke Edwards here rather than Eddie Howe, which I'm always happy to do. Um, But yeah, it's a tough one because like you say, Adam, it's caution to the wind, but from from a few like a pure football fan perspective, if it's when did Bournemouth score? I should know this. The seventy fifth minute or something. Yeah, it was late, it was yeah. late enough that you were yeah. worried. Like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was late. It was late enough in the game to think. Well, and, and this is what a lot of fans will think. The praise that Newcastle have got for coming back against Luton and Bournemouth has included, and I think Tino Livermendo has been a crucial part of of that. You know, so. It's 1-1 at home to Bournemouth. If you're going to try and win the game, maybe Tino is the sub. 
before that and then you don't concede the goal. I think that's what a lot of fans feel and a lot of fans think and that's where the frustration comes from. But to kind of develop the, the final question, I suppose, is the, the, the online noise against how in the team is, is very loud at the minute, but that doesn't really translate into reality that often. Mm. But I feel like, again, grumbles coming out of the ground, um, grumbles in the ground, quiet atmosphere. It does just feel like it, it could turn quite soon. Having said that, as we all keep saying, you know, an Alexander Isak can fix that. A Joe Willock, even an Elliot yeah. Anderson, a Nick Pope. It's not that far till March. You know, it's supposed to come back in March. This all might just be if the if these are the darkest days, I'm absolutely comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're seventh. Se- we're seventh, and Brighton play later today, so we'll probably go eighth because you'd imagine they beat Sheffield United. But we're seventh. We're in the conversation for a European place. We're still in the FA Cup. Yep. it ain't all bad. But like you said earlier in the show, Adam, th- this this approach only works if it gets much better than, than here. And it is still a big if at the minute. I, just, I, th- I think for me, it's a lot of the major criticisms in terms of Eddie Howe's game management, I don't think he's in a position to manage games. He hasn't got the kind of options to do that. The criticisms of Dan Byrne, I think, again, is confirmation bias. People have it in his head that he's the problem. So anything even remotely associated with him, that's it. And Livermento would magically fix all this just because he's not him. This is not stuff I recognise when I watch this football team. But the problem with it is... It's not that people are making this up. The results haven't been great and we haven't been managing games from the bench and t- teams are getting in down that side. It's not that people are completely wrong with their analysis. It's just that when you watch it, you can understand the contributing factors to it. But the problem people have got is that, and you made a really good point about this, about like when the, all the journalists were like praise and burn, you're like, well, that's, if you don't have to pay to watch football, it's very easy for you to say. People do have to pay to watch football and it's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster, like all <laughs> season. Like, very specific reference. Very impenetrable uh, live show reference there. Roller coaster, basically. And the problem is, the reasons for it not being as good as it was last season have been the same reasons since the form started dropping off in November and December and October. It was like, we're getting a lot of injuries. The fixture congestion's piling up. We, we can't pick, a, a, we can't change the 11 based on the on the game we want to play. We've just got to go with the players we've got. And people get tired of hearing that over, fo- like, what's been nearly five months now. I completely mm-hmm. understand, like, how many more times can you say they have played a lot of football? They haven't really got a lot of options. This, you know, Dan Byrne isn't getting protected as well as he was. Not that he's a bad player because it hasn't changed. Like that's, and I, I completely understand people getting a little bit fed up because it does wear you down. It doesn't change the fact these are correct things. Like that is the reason for it still being up and down. But if you've been going every single week and you haven't watched the same thing happen time and time again, it doesn't matter how good the excuses or the, the justifications are it wears you down. And I, do, I completely understand the mood in the ground because I think people are just like, when's this going to end? Like, surely, surely you trust this institution, this manager and these players that like, you can't just keep having the same problems over and over. They should have magically fixed it, but it just, it doesn't work like that. I think that these issues will start resolving themselves when those players come back. And as you see, Alex, this is, we're looking at March, right, for these big players. And I look at those last 13 games and despite... What's happening at the minute with us not being, you know, as good as we know we're capable of being? Mm. Are we capable of winning eight of those thirteen games? I look at those fixtures and I think, aye, we are. We are. We get Isak and Oport back. We'll get thrown in there as well. We're definitely capable of beating eight, beating eight of those thirteen teams. That takes one to sixty-one points. Throw a couple of draws in there. You're looking at what sixty-three points, maybe that that is a possibility. And to be able to say that, despite what we've been discussing today, what we discussed after the match. All the goals that were conceding, we are still in with a really, really good chance of probably making fifth or sixth because we are capable of winning the amount of games needed between now and the end of the season to do that. As I say, 
that's probably necessitated on the return of at least Nick Pope, if not Nick Pope, and Alexander Isak at centre forward, obviously. I will just just say on the wider context of this, our aspirations for this season have obviously changed. <clears throat> we did want to maintain Champions League football, but it's clear that that's gone. The top teams spent so heavily and haven't had the same kind of problems we've had. So we're kind of competing with West Ham, Man United, Brighton for that sort of next spot down. You want to hear the conversations going on in those fan bases at the minute. Brighton have had one clean sheet all season or something ridiculous like that. They've completely forgotten how to defend. They got beat 4-0 off Luton. Mm. Like, four, Brighton got beat 4-0 off Luton. Villa, uh, Man United... Good say Luton, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. really, really good. Lofty. Exactly. Lofty. Uh, everything going on at Man United at the minute. They're putting a really good run together now, but there's no stru- there's no foundation there whatsoever. Everybody just thinks it's going to be another disaster and they'll drop off. They, they're incapable of putting a consistent run together. And you look at the sort of position we're in and ours aren't self-inflicted. Ours aren't that we've suddenly forgotten how to play football. Ours aren't this, ours aren't that. We have been having the same issues since October and they will work themselves out, but we thought they were going to work themselves out by November is the problem. We had a couple of these players back. Surely this injury run can't continue on, but now with the lack of fixture congestion and the nice gaps between the games... Probably will. I, I, I guarantee you all those teams, look, I mean, look the discontent going around West Ham with, with David Moyes at the minute. Every single one of those teams, if there's one European place to be got between the four of us, I guarantee you right now, every single one of them would want to be in our position. Every single one of them. As much as we may grumble and we might think this is all, these are the bad times, they would all trade places with us right now for this running in the season. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much, Adam, Charlotte and Norman. Uh, Final reminder for me, come and join us on our Patreon platform for between three and eight pounds a month. We've got absolutely loads lined up this week, including Norman and I's monthly Newcastle United deep dive conversation. So looking forward to that tremendously. We'll be back with another one of these podcasts through the week and then after Arsenal and the podcast will be out this time next week. Speak to you all then. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be Gamble Aware, over 18s only. Visit BeGambleAware.org. Be Drink Aware and for details and T's and C's, visit AspersNewcastle.co.uk.